to admit that I have a, a, a great suspicion that very few of you read books as I do. Uh, that is until this morning. Uh, very rarely will I uh, pick up a book in a bookshop and uh, buy it and read it from beginning to end. Uh, more often than not, I will uh, pick it up off the shelf and uh, I'll have a look at the beginning, uh, the introduction of the first chapter, and then I'll s zip straight on to the uh, final chapter and read that. And on that, I will then make my decision as to whether I'm going to buy the book because I hopefully will know uh, whether it's worth reading. And uh, I say that because uh, often that can be a very helpful way of reading the Bible and reading books of the Bible. Uh, as we uh, come to this book of uh, Habakkuk, uh, it's very helpful to read the first chapter and the back, or the final chapter, the bookends, if you like, of the prophet, because uh, it helps us to understand some of the really big themes that we will find in and through Habakkuk. And uh, that is certainly something that I hope that you have caught a glimpse of this morning as we had it read. So I hope that you'll forgive me for trying to convert you to reading books my way. But I hope it's been helpful and will be helpful. Uh, the book uh, of Habakkuk begins in uh, chapter 1, verse 1, by reminding us that this is an oracle received by Habakkuk the prophet. Uh, this is something Habakkuk has received. He has not made it up. It's something that he, as God's spokesman or prophet, has received from God. And uh, uh, as God's prophet, he is God's spokesman. And he's been given this oracle, or rather burden. And as we go through the oracle that he's been given, we'll see that it is very much a burden. It is something that hangs very heavy in his heart. It's a message that we'll see as we uh, look at chapter 2 next week that Habakkuk wants, uh, God wants Habakkuk to uh, not keep to himself but to broadcast to everybody. That is why in chapter 3, right at the end, he says, give it to the director of music so that everybody can sing about it and learn it. Uh, it's a message for uh, Habakkuk's day, and it's also a message for people throughout every age. And I'm sure that as we heard it read and as we look at it uh, over the next few minutes together, uh, we'll see that although it was given by God two and a half thousand years ago, we will see that it is a message that is as pertinent today as it ever was. Uh, we don't have to look too far to see that uh, as we just glance down at uh, verses 2 to 4 and see the situation that Habakkuk himself faces. And it reveals to us uh, our first point this morning, which is Habakkuk's urgent question, which is, how long, O Lord? How long? Uh, once again, uh, Habakkuk has been uh, surveying the scene in his country of Judah, and as he's looked out across Judah, it seems that all is not well at all. And he cries out to God because of what he has seen and what he is personally experiencing. Uh, this is what he cries out to God. Verse 2. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. You see, what uh, Habakkuk has been experiencing brings the urgent question to his lips. How long, O Lord? 
Lord, I've been crying out to you. We don't know for how long, but it's been going on quite some time. Uh, All that I've seen and all that I'm experiencing, but you don't seem to hear what I'm saying to you, Lord. It's, It's as if you don't see or hear anything. Violence is everywhere, especially to me and the rest of your people, your righteous people who want to live your way. We see injustice and we have to tolerate wrong against ourselves. We face destruction, violence, strife and conflict. And the law, well, the law just gives us no justice at all. We've got no one to turn to, but we're turning to you, Lord, yet again. And all that seems to happen is that the wicked, those who who don't love you, Lord, those who don't love us either, just hem us in and gang up against us. And Lord, in and through all of this, it just seems as if you're, you're kind of wearing some blindfold so you can't see. And you've got your hands over your ears so that you can't hear. And that perplexes Habakkuk. Uh, Just look at how he addresses God in verse 2. He says, you, O Lord. The word Lord there is the personal name for those who, who know him and love him. It's a name by which he calls his people to call him. Those who have that special relationship with him, that covenant relationship with him. And they're saying, look, we're suffering, Lord, but you don't seem to be doing anything for us. And as we hear those cries of of Habakkuk and his urgent question, how long? We have huge empathy with him, don't we? I mean, the last century, I think most of us, if not all of us, most of us here this morning, were part of the last century. It was the most violent ever. And this century hasn't started out any better at all, has it? There is violence everywhere. Just have to look at the television screens this morning, see what's going on in Thailand. In Africa, uh, Islam is trying to wipe out Christians. I I was on conference last week with uh, other ministers, not just from this country, but from overseas. And uh, we heard from uh, some Nigerian pastors. And one of them was saying that uh, they face striking opposition. That in fact, in Nigeria, there is a plan, there is a systematic and deliberate eradication of Christians in parts of his country. They're deliberately targeted. We've seen news of that over here. But it is a deliberate wiping out of Christians. They face violence, wrong, injustice, destruction and death. In this country, we're a long way from that. But I think we still know something of it, don't we? Once our laws were once shaped by Scripture, built on Scripture but now they overrule it. Only recently, uh, the House of Lords was debating a law discussing about how we could become a more secular country and legislating for it. We have laws being made that deny central Christian truths, that they threaten Christian liberty and the freedom to teach the truths that lie at the heart of mankind's relationship with God. Uh, Last week there was uh, a street preacher arrested for teaching the truths about God and how those those are to apply for our daily lives. And again, I I was looking at CFAX yesterday and uh, again the headlines of uh, Christians uh, being taken to court over how they live out their Christian conscience and who they will allow to uh, share rooms in their B&B. And with our new government, we do not know how that government is going to legislate. 
but we can probably expect greater and greater legislation that will make it harder for us. And so as we see that scene, we perhaps know that scene from our own personal circumstances, we find ourselves adding our voices to that of Habakkuk. We long to see God re-establish justice. We long to see freedom for us, to be able to speak about Jesus freely, to live out our faith with freedom. And we long to see that freedom for our brothers and sisters around the world. And as we say that and as we voice that, we long and wonder whether God is doing anything, whether he's seeing, hearing and acting. This is how Habakkuk's oracle begins. But I wonder if uh, you noticed, as Ricky read it to us, uh, how it ended. Just turn over with me, would you, just one page, to uh, chapter 3 and verse 17. It ends with the prophet in a pretty dire situation. But listen to the situation and listen to his words. 3 verse 17. Though the fig tree doesn't bud, though there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet, yet will I complain? No. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Do you see where we start out in Habakkuk? We start out with the prophet urgently crying out. Big questions for God. But we end with the prophet. A change of heart He is trusting in God. He knows that God is with him and is at work. You see, in chapter 1, it begins with, as it were, there being no light at the end of the tunnel. And that may well be some people's experience here this morning. Maybe for you that life is hard, that you believe in the Lord God, you live for him, and yet you are facing trials of all kinds, painful ones, Ones that are all around us and besetting us because we are Christian people. Because we live for the Lord. That may be your painful experience this morning. For others of us, it may well not be quite a personal issue. But it is still an issue for other members of our church family and for our brothers and sisters across the world. And these words will help us to know how to support them will help us to know how to pray for them and encourage them by crying out with them, How long, O Lord? How long? Well, we aren't sure uh, quite how long it was after Habakkuk cried out that urgent question to God. However, at some stage, the Lord replies, and we get that reply in verses 5 through to 11. And we find out that actually the Lord has a plan. The plan is the Babylonians, and it is an incredible plan. That is our second point this morning. I wonder if, as Ricky read those words this morning, you were surprised as you heard him read them. Because, I mean, I guess if we're honest with ourselves, we probably expected that Habakkuk might have been rebuked for the way that he had asked God, how long? But there is nothing There's not even a whiff here of a rebuke. Why? 
because Habakkuk's questions arise out of him being perplexed rather than about him doubting God's sovereignty. He's not questioning God's right to act in his way, but he's just surprised as to how God is acting. Habakkuk is a faithful prophet. He's just finding out and asking God to tell him, well, why are things working out this way? And we'll soon see in verse 12 that he's somebody who still trusts God and allows him to act in his way with his authority. If uh, you look up under uh, point number one, you'll see a number of uh, verses in Scripture there. And uh, each of those is a reference to the ways in which people cry out, how long? How long are the wicked going to continue to behave this way and not be turned around? You'll be surprised to know that the first two are voiced by God himself about his people. The, sec- uh, the second one, or the third in the list, uh, Psalm 13, is, is the psalmist. It's one of God's people crying out, how long? Are the wicked going to prosper? And then Matthew 17, 17 are words by the Lord Jesus Christ himself saying, how long do I have to live in this wicked and depraved generation? And then the final one in Revelation 6, verse 10. It's those who are already with the Lord, those who have already died, trusting God's word and living for it, Crying out, how long do we have to see this going on? How long shall the godly suffer? How long shall the wicked prosper? So you see, there's no rebuke for Habakkuk. His analysis of what's going on is absolutely right. And we find instead God's amazing plan. God's amazing plan. And uh, it's quite simply this. Very simply this. Verse 5. The Lord says to Habakkuk, I've heard, I have seen, and I am acting. He says, look at the nations and watch, be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe. It's so incredible. Even if I tell you now, you will still not believe it. Verse 6, I am raising up the Babylonians, a country sometimes referred to as the Chaldeans. Now, before uh, we dive into these verses about uh, what's going to happen, I want to uh, just park us in a lay-by, as it were. Because, you see, it's at this point in time that we begin to understand where we are in history. If you know something uh, of history, uh, you might know that uh, the Babylonians were a nation who came from absolutely nowhere to defeat absolutely everyone. They conquered Assyria in 612 BC. They conquered Egypt in 605 BC. And they reigned supreme until 539 BC when the Persians under King Cyrus conquered them. They diverted the river that ran under the city. The riverbed dried up and the the army of Cyrus marched into Babylon and conquered it in a bloodless coup. You can read about it if you want to in uh, the book of Daniel in the Bible. You see, what uh, God is saying here is something so incredible. It's, it's a bit like the equivalent of uh, Hallam Football Club. Uh, some of you may have heard of it, some of you may not. It's a very small local club here. It's a bit like them coming from absolutely nowhere to defeat uh, a team like, say, uh, Jose Mourinho's Inter Milan in the Champions League final. 
It's from going from zero to top dog. And of course we know that doesn't just happen overnight. But it has to start somewhere. And that is what the Lord is saying is happening in verse 6. He says, I am raising up the Babylonians. It's already happening. In fact, you know they're a ruthless and impetuous people. Now these little hints as to where we are in history help us to know that we're somewhere, somewhere around 609 BC onwards. At that time, Babylon was already on the march, beginning to get a name for itself. And it also helps us, uh, verses uh, 2 to 4, help us to understand where we are in Judah's history. uh, Judah's history. Habakkuk was uh, a member of Judah, the nation of Judah. And uh, from the glimpse that he gives us in verses 2 to 4, it's very quick for us to be able to see that the nation is descending into religious apostasy. They're turning against God. And that helps us to know that we're probably sometime after the death of the godly king Josiah. He was a king who brought the nation back to God, pointed them to the true and living God, and started to bring about religious reform. But when he died, his son, King Jehoiakim, took over, and he said, no, let's bend the Lord God. And the nation plunged into religious apathy and apostasy, and that's exactly what Habakkuk is speaking about in in verses 2 to 4. So you see, that helps us to place this in history. Sometime around 609 BC onwards. If that's the historical context, let's just see what God says is going to happen. Verses uh, 6 onwards. Let's just canter through it. Verse 6, we see that uh, this nation's rising up. It's going to sweep through the whole earth, seizing dwelling places that aren't their own. Verse 7, they're feared, they're dreaded, they're a law unto themselves. Verse 8, they're great warriors. Fierce and well-armed. They're bloodthirsty like vultures. They're violent, verse 9. They capture prisoners. They sweep them up like the wind sweeps up sand and marches on. Verse 10. They laugh at kings who try to oppose them. And they conquer them. Verse 11. They sweep on. They're guilty men who worship themselves, whose deeds are culpable, used by God. This is the Lord's judgment and justice on the wicked. It's quite a surprise, isn't it, that God does that? That he's going to use this nation that's emerging to sweep over the whole region. I guess uh, a number of us may be uh, planning our summer holidays and uh, with the problems with that little volcano erupting, I guess some of us will be staying here and uh, journeying to our own uh, seasides in the UK. Maybe you're not going this year, but you've been in the past. And I guess some of us, if not all of us, will have built sandcastles on the seashore and will have built some big ones, some small ones. And you'll then have just watched as the sea comes in. And you watch and you wait and you you hope that your sandcastle is big enough and strong enough to stand against the sea, but the sea marches on and marches on and it consumes all of the sandcastles that we've built. It sweeps in and sweeps the whole lot away. Well, the Lord Lord here is saying that's exactly what is going to happen with Babylon. The Babylonians are just going to sweep on into Judah and carry them off. This is the Lord's justice. This is how the Lord will punish the wicked in Judah. This, in fact, is how he is going to keep his people pure. How he's amazingly going to take them off into captivity in Babylon 
and build them up again to be people who will love him and live for him. You know what? History books tell us that Babylon did invade Judah. They invaded in 597 BC and carted some of their people off to Babylon to exile. If you uh, turn over the sermon sheets, you'll see on the back a little diagram at the bottom there. And uh, bottom left-hand corner, you can see, if you like, what's beginning to happen. Habakkuk's oracle, sometime around 609 BC. Babylon invading in 597 BC. We know it happened. God predicted it would happen, and it did. And then, later on, the Persians defeat Babylon in 539 BC. We'll see that uh, a bit more next week. This is, if you like, the first horizon, the first fulfilment of the Lord's oracle to Habakkuk. It's going to happen. And his words point initially to that coming of Babylon and their invasion. And as we see that horizon, it's a great reminder, isn't it, that God is not deaf or blind to the events that are happening in this world. To the events that are being experienced by you, perhaps, this morning in your day-to-day lives. He knows what you and I are experiencing. He knows the pain and suffering that you may be experiencing for being a Christian at work, maybe even in your own family. He knows the pain and suffering of Christian believers around the world, in Africa, India, China, wherever it may be. But you see, as we stand on the other side of those events, we can see that they really did happen. That God's word was true, that what was predicted happened. And we can see too how God's people were really refined and built up in captivity. And so we should be encouraged to trust him. We may be perplexed like Habakkuk. We may think, Lord, hang on a second, what are you doing? As things seem to get worse and worse and worse. But we must believe, as Habakkuk believed, that God is acting and working. How long we cry, but we must also trust. And yet at the same time, as we read these words of God's incredible plan, we also want to echo Habakkuk's next exchange with God. As we see thirdly, the next part, he, over at the top of the, uh, over the sheet, point three, Habakkuk says, why them? Not why then, why then? He complains humbly to God in verses 12 to 17. You see, on the one hand, Habakkuk must have been grateful and relieved that God was going to act, that God was on the move. But on the other hand, he cannot understand why the Lord is using a nation that's more wicked than them. A nation that's going to go and plunder everybody in the known world. He cannot understand how and why God is doing this. Just listen to verses 12 and 13. O Lord, he says, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, he's assured they won't die, but he says, O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O Rock, you've ordained them to punish. He knows that's what's going to happen, but his question, verse 13, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Lord, I can't work out what you're doing. It just doesn't seem to make sense. You are our rock, you're our holy one. But why are you using people who are 
unrighteous. And then he begins to tumble out all sorts of things. Verses 14 through to 16 gives us an intriguing picture, doesn't it, of the inhumanity of mankind. He says, look, Lord, he says, you've made people like the sea. But then there are people like the Babylonians who just go and catch them like helpless fish. People who believe only in themselves and their own abilities. Verse 16, people who are uh, puffed up, people who worship themselves, who worship their work and live for their work, for their possessions and for their lifestyle. Give no thought for you, Lord. And Habakkuk wonders, verse 17, is this just going to go on and on and on? Are these Babylonians going to go on emptying their nets and destroying people without mercy? He says, look, Lord, you are holy. How can you let this happen? And if we're honest, we agree with Habakkuk, don't we? We want God to punish the wicked and we want him to give us peace. But we often want it our own way, don't we? We want him to do it in a way that we can understand. Some 600 years after Habakkuk prophesied, God again used wicked men for his plans. We heard about it in our second or our third reading from the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, that uh, passage, Acts chapter 4 and verse 23 onwards. Uh, in it, uh, the early Christian church leaders quote again from the Old Testament, this time from the psalmists. And they point to the fact that Psalm 2 speaks about Jesus and about how people plot and rage against God's anointed one, Jesus Christ. Verse 27. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Amazing. Yet again, God using wicked men to carry out his plans. You see, the events of Habakkuk's day prefigure what is going to happen 600 years later. They point to a second fulfillment or horizon of fulfillment for Habakkuk's prophecy. You see, the whole Old Testament points us to Jesus. That's why uh, I really want to encourage you to pick up and read one of these books, God's Big Picture. It will help you to see that and to see how the whole of Scripture fits together. And the Old Testament prophecies, Habakkuk is no exception. One of the things that uh, my wife Ali and I have enjoyed doing uh, in our time since we arrived up here in Sheffield is uh, walking in the Peak District. Uh, there are fabulous views as you get up onto the high peaks. I wonder if you've ever done that. And as you look out, you see an amazing view. You'll see some peaks that are close to you and then you'll see further away in the middle distance other peaks that are slightly further away still. And then right off in the far off distance there are other peaks also. It's amazing. One peak district but lots and lots of different peaks. And you know what? Old Testament prophecies are just like that. One prophecy but several peaks of fulfilment of that prophecy. And so, uh, just as in this prophecy of Habakkuk, there's an initial fulfillment in Babylon and in the way the Babylonians sweep in, but there's also a second and a third horizon or peak of fulfillment. And you can see those at the bottom of that sheet in these second and third sort of peaks or humps of fulfillment there. 
The second uh, peak of fulfillment comes as Jesus, God's Son, born into the tribe of Judah, comes into the world. And as Jesus does that, what would you expect God to do as he comes into a world full of wicked people? We'd expect him to judge the wicked. But astonishingly, Jesus comes to save wicked people. In John chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus himself says that God did not send his son, God did not send him into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And that is great and astonishing news, isn't it? Because, you see, in reality, all of us are wicked people. All of us turn away from God. That's why we had to confess our sins at the beginning. That is why we were going through uh, what we did with the baptism of Hannah, recognizing that she herself needs to take hold of those promises herself one day so that she may be saved herself in and through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the great news. And so although we deserve judgment and punishment, Jesus himself dies upon that cross, as Paul pointed us to earlier, He dies upon a cross and he bears our sin and pays for it. You see, not only justice, but justice and mercy. That's exactly what uh, Habakkuk was crying out in in 1 verse 17. He says, Lord, how long are they going to keep on doing this? Justice without mercy. And yet in Jesus Christ we have both justice and mercy. Sin is punished and wicked people like you and me, all of us, given the opportunity through faith in Jesus Christ to be set right with God forever. Something all people need. It's open to all people, all of us here. And I wonder if you have laid hold of that this morning, whether you are someone who has believed and is believing in Jesus Christ. And so know the reality of that astounding justice and mercy bought for you. If you do know that, you will know the joy of true justice and mercy. This is the second horizon, or second peak in Jesus' death, but there is also a third horizon, a third peak of fulfilment, Jesus' return. You can see it on the diagram there. This is when Jesus will bring justice to fulfilment, when the wicked will be finally judged and punished. And that shows us how important it is that we are ready for it, prepared through Jesus' first coming and death. Uh, Later on in Acts, in Acts chapter 17, verse 31, in another sermon, we are told that God will judge the world and he will judge it by the one whom he has appointed and the one he's appointed, amazingly enough, is the one whom he has raised from the dead, Jesus Christ. So you see, there is great news there. It means that justice will prevail in the end. God will punish the wicked and we can leave him to do that. Justice will be done and those who refuse to accept his justice and mercy in Jesus will one day find themselves face to face with him and facing his judgment. So you see, these words are words of great concern for the wicked they tell us that one day we will come face to face with God and his judgment but they are also words of great comfort 
if we will turn to him through Jesus Christ. Habakkuk didn't fully understand what he was speaking about in these verses. But they were words given to him by God. Words that pointed to that future fulfillment with Babylon. The next fulfillment, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ with mercy and justice. And then final justice in the return of Jesus Christ. And yet, even though he did not know that, he was able to conclude in chapter 2, verse 1, with these words, and this is my final and very brief point, he says, I will wait. Habakkuk is faithful in his response to God. He says these words, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the rampart. I will be ready, looking out, and I will look to see what he, the Lord, will say to me, and what answer I am to give to this complaint. He says, I will watch, I will see what God is doing, I'll be alert for what he is doing and how he's going to answer my complaint about why the Babylonians? Why them? That is the response of the prophet of faith. That is also the response of the person of faith who stands firm and says, I will wait on God. I may be unsure of where things are going here and now. And that may be exactly the situation for some of us here this morning. We do not know how God is going to work in our situation of pain, of difficulty, of suffering, of persecution. We are maybe unsure in the short term how God is going to work that out, but in the long term, we know that God's justice will prevail. And we must trust in that. And we must wait patiently for it. It's not a wishful waiting. It is a faithful waiting. And next week, uh, if you come back, we will see how that waiting looks. What it will mean for us to wait patiently. Well, let's pray together now.